Happy Friday afternoon, everyone. I'm Zach Keeney, joined by Matthew Fish, and we welcome you all to another MSP Cyber Roundtable. If you haven't already, make sure you check out last week's webinar on YouTube. We had a discussion uh, about Move It after the fact, and we had Brett Callow and Luke uh, Connolly on from MCSoft, and we discovered, or we just, oh, excuse me. And we covered uh, CIS version 8 control 10 malware defenses. If you're new to the roundtable this week, make sure to check out our educational video library on YouTube and like us on LinkedIn. Today we have Ian Richardson from Richardson and Richardson Consulting to discuss conquering cyber price objections. We'll do full introductions in a moment, but first, how are you guys doing today? I think... I think- I accidentally flashed this on the screen, I, but I'll, I'll tell you how I'm doing in a moment. <laughs> I'm awesome. Yeah. I'm awesome. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Zach and Matt. We're glad to have you. Matt, go ahead. You, you come with the news. I, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I wish it was the disaster recovery day because it would just make the theme work perfect. But I'm in a double disaster scenario. Um, and it's it's really like a reminder of, um, you know, what what we need to be avoiding in our cyber planning. The uh, there was a huge storm that rolled through our region last night, and um, it took out simultaneously my office in town, and also took out my backup office. So it's like the primary site and the the backup site got taken out in the same day. So anyway, here's the. Here's the photo. So oh that's my that's my house. Um, the office is, is less interesting because it's just dark. But uh, <laughs> I've even got the uh, the indoor shot, which is even uh, even more interesting. So this oh this came through the ceiling while my kids were in the room. Like it came stabbing through the the roof. Anyway. Oh my god. <laughs> so and you're you're in in. Hudson Valley, you're in New York. Hudson Valley, and as you can see, it's beautiful outside, so it's like nothing happened. But uh, anyway, well, we're we're glad you're you're here, and what a trooper for going through it all day and in the middle of the night and making it on. We're glad to have you. <laughs> so, Ian, where uh, are you joining us from? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm out of the home base in uh, in Michigan, East Lansing, Michigan. So. At home for a, for a couple of weeks and then back on the road again through whenever I, whenever I, it ends. Have I said go blue to you before? <laughs> you know what? As as someone who hasn't gone to either U of M or MSU, I'm pretty you neutral as long as as long as Ohio State loses. Man, I'm good. Fair enough. Like that's uh. That's all it is. It's it's much less about Michigan versus Michigan. We can all agree that Ohio sucks. <laughs> well, I'm in Ohio. I'm joining from Toledo this time around. Yeah, I know. That's there's a little ding right there. <laughs> yep, yep. Very fair. Well, awesome. Uh, let's uh, let's transition into introductions before we before we do uh, our control for the day. Ian, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what you uh, what you do. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm Ian Richardson. I'm a partner and co-founder over at Richardson & Richardson Consulting. My background, I owned and operated an MSP for 16 years, sold it in 21. 
and uh, jump the fence, so to speak, from the MSP side to the vendor side. But I'm just around to try to help other folks scale and sell their business. That's what I do every day. All right. And is that is that Miami on your background screen there to your uh, to your left? No, that's that's the Ren Center, man. That's Detroit. I I bleed I bleed Michigan, right? Detroit. Uh, Detroit's the best city in the world. How did they make it look so pretty in that picture? Detroit's always pretty. Okay. All right. I'm learning a bunch of new things about Michigan today. Oh man, it's... you know, you, you never see a city that goes off like Detroit, right? Like That's other true. other places have whatever. Detroit has the club out in the parking lot, man. You know, it's, it's Friday night in the summer, people just pop the pop the trunk of the car and blast the car stereo and that's where the party's at. It's just at whatever parking lot you rolled up on. We'll have to go to a Lions playoff game this year. Huh, man, I you know what? Like it's the first year in a long time where the hype's saying like, hey, they might be able to they might be able to make it, which would be like the end of 30 years of suffering for everyone in Michigan. <laughs> well, let's jump into our control. I I could talk football all day, but I know that's not what people are here for. <laughs> so CIS control version eight fourteen security awareness and skills training um i'm just going to cover up the screen here for a second everyone knows this is phishing training right no i'm just joking um uh did you know that phishing simulation isn't on this security standard list at all uh because when we look at cybersecurity awareness what's important is that employees know what their responsibilities are and that's both users and users, but also technicians and engineers and who's people running the system. And then they also need to understand anything specific to the regulatory environment. So, um, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the, the phishing simulation equals security awareness training. Um, and not only is it not a required component, but it's um, even if you do include it and it it can be helpful specifically for one of the controls we're about to get into. Um, it's really only a small component of what needs to be in a cyber awareness um, skill set. So, um, you know, the first the first part of any um, skills awareness package is uh, doing the awareness pro, uh, planning. So, establish and maintain a security awareness program is fourteen point one, um, and I'm just going to run down some other parts that should be part of that program. Fourteen point two. People should be able to recognize social engineering attacks and phishing is a type of social engineering, but there's lots of others like pretexting things that can happen on the phone where someone has maybe one piece of information and they're not trying to break into the system, but they're going to use that piece of information to get someone to disclose another piece of information. And you can chain together pretexting until you've collected many pieces of information. And at that point, you sound like you really know what you're talking about. Maybe you sound like a company insider and then you can finally trick someone into uh, disclosing a critical piece of information that they should not, like a password or other things, or you can get them to, to do something. So um, that's social engineering. Um, 14.3, um, train users on authentication best practices, like um, where to store passwords, how to choose passwords, um, those types of things, how to set password policies. 14.4, um, 14, 14 um, data handling best practices. This is usually industry specific. So if you're in a consumer space, you probably have consumer data. You might have social security numbers, birth dates, things like that. If you're in criminal justice, 
you've got information about um, uh, uh, criminal justice cases called CJI in healthcare. You've got protected health information, PHI. Um, in government contracting, you've got controlled unclassified information, CUI. Um, each of these require separate data handling best practices for that vertical. And if you're a business that has some type of regulated data, your employees should be trained on how to deal with that. 14.5, train your workforce members on causes of unintentional data exposure. Exposure, you left uh, a laptop. If any explosions happen yeah. on this is key, key to notify on that as well. <laughs> um, unintentional data exposure. So if you accidentally left data lying around, paper in a coffee shop, unlocked desktop, um, you accidentally emailed something to someone that you shouldn't have in an unsecure fashion, or maybe even, and this is in healthcare, it comes up a lot, you allowed someone to send data to you through an insecure channel. Patients sent some information um, directly to a, a healthcare practice from an unsecured email account to a, to a doctor. That would be um, something that, uh, that the people in that doctor office should be trained to tell people, look, don't send me that over this channel. We've got secure ways of doing that. Um, causes, uh, sorry, 14.6, members uh, recognize and report security incidents. So it's everyone's job to report a security incident. Um, and that's really important just to make sure everyone knows that it's their job to report a security incident, which also implies that they have to know how to recognize a security incident. Um, and a lot of people um, that aren't in the industry think about the B word, the breach word that we try not to use in the cybersecurity industry. But um, people have um, pre that people are biased towards understanding what they think a breach means, like it's something huge, it's something disastrous. But incidents can become disastrous, and so it's important to identify what is an incident. Um, someone accidentally looked over my shoulder and saw something they shouldn't have is an incident. I accidentally clicked on a link I shouldn't have is an incident. My computer's not acting normally, and it seems like I don't recognize this program that's installed is an incident. And there's many more, and each of these um, should be reported, and uh, there should be some type of incident lifecycle um, management around that. That's the rest of that would be an incident lifecycle management. Uh, we got a few more here. Um, 14.7, how to identify report if enterprise assets are missing security updates. It's actually best practice for every person in every company to be trained on how to know when their browser's out of date, how to know when their phone's out of date, how to know when their laptop's out of date. How to know when a Dolby Acrobat reader is out of date, right? Recognize that, oh, there's a pop-up that says you, you should apply a patch, and they should be trained that, yeah, you need to do that. You can't ignore that forever. Um, users need to be trained on that. This is not something that, that's owned by the IT department exclusively. Um, and dangers of connecting to and transmitting enterprise data over insecure networks. That's 14.8. Um, we're talking about connecting to a coffee shop without a VPN that can be trusted, that's managed by your company, connecting to a customer site that you don't trust, connecting to any any uncontrolled network, insecure network like a hotel. Um, companies need to put in place policies on how this can be performed or maybe ban it, um, although ideally they put in security measures to make it possible, and then train people on how to use those measures and how to avoid insecure situations. And then, um, so everything I just named, all seven, all eight of those 
components are part of um, a security program that's for every type of organization. It's recommended whether you're running a coffee shop or a large enterprise. The, the recommendations for the Center for Internet Security is that everyone is trained on all of those things. And so if you're doing phishing simulation and you think you're doing security awareness training, you're missing almost everything. Um, now, there is an advanced version of this, um, and this is for organizations with larger IT deployments or um, advanced uh, regulatory impact. And that would be um, the skills training that are specific to their role. So 14.9 says conduct role-specific security training and awareness. And this is because different people in an organization have different security roles, right? Users have their roles. A help desk person has their role. A system administrator has their role. A business executive has their role. And they should each be trained on those specific roles. And that's important in any, any organization that's mid-sized or larger. Um, so that's, that's it for security awareness training. And whew, that, that was... I don't know how long that took, guys. Was that ten minutes for nine subcontrols? It was. It was. I thought you got through that pretty quick. I'd love to cup, touch on a couple of things, and I think that I, I even have a question for Ian in the space. Um, you know, because he's you do a lot of consulting, um, and mm -hmm. a lot of the times, at least in my experience, and and you can correct me if I'm off base, but what I've seen in my time is oftentimes what you end up consulting on are our best practices around information delineation, which is just training, right? And I saw on, on that control, seven out of nine of those started with train on X. Um, so me as a business person and thinking about, okay, how am I going to tackle this control? How am I going to have success here? The first thing I need to do to have success is know how to train. If I don't know how to do that, I'm going to go out there and fail on, on developing security skills and awareness with my team. Um, so I'd like to just start there. Um, you know, maybe, maybe not getting into the specifics, but from a training perspective, how would you get started? And in your consulting practice, um, where do you recommend people begin? Yeah. But, uh... I would, I would, I would agree wholeheartedly that training is usually a pretty large battle in any sort of organization, whether you're a million dollar company, you know, or a half million dollar coffee shop, all the way up to 100, 200, 500 million dollar organizations. Training workforce is difficult. Everyone sees the world differently than everyone else. Right. There is no universal lens on how we view the world. There is no universal lens as to how we view ourselves and how we view others. And just as everyone's communication styles are different and, and certain people might need a lot of detail, certain people need big picture, certain people need to be laughing and having fun, certain people need processing time, even more so than that, everyone learns differently. So too often you'll have a training program and it'll be written word or it'll be only video, or it'll be only audio, or a, a mixture of that, but there won't be any practical application. So the, the first thing about training is learning about people and communication styles and education methodology. And then based off of the organization size and makeup, you have to try to pick and choose what you're able to do. But training is not a one-time event. 
training is not a one medium event. So you have to choose multi mediums and you have to do multiple communications around the same topic. There's been study after study after study that when someone goes through a training, and this is like the best place training, someone goes through an educational event and within 48 hours, they've lost over 80% of what was covered in the event. And it doesn't matter how long the event was, how many sessions it was, you've lost 80%. You go out to a week and it goes up to 90%. That's a huge brain drain. But if you, if you think about that decline and you revisit a topic, you elevate her back up and the decline goes a little bit less and it goes a little bit less, but you have to do multiple cycles on a topic to get people into it. So if you're just doing annual security awareness training and everyone does a 90 minute in service or whatever, and, and clicks through some slides and takes a test, and then they get their little pre-printed certificate that they throw on their desk in a binder full of other pre-printed certificates like OSHA training or whatever, mm-hmm. you're not going to have much retention a week later. So you, you have to, you have to learn about education. You have to learn about the people on your team and you have to build training in a way that everyone will be able to consume it effectively. So what is useful for me is not necessarily going to be useful for, for you. And you really have to lean into that. Great. Well, thank you so much for that. Well, that'll conclude uh, going over CIS version eight control 14. And we'll go ahead and dive into our topic of the day, conquering cyber price objections. Yeah. Matt, where should we start with this? I think you might be. Yeah. yeah, before we before we jump in here, let me just. Um, first of all, I was excited when we ran into to Ian because um, I've seen a huge in- interest among our partner base, um, but also the wider partner community when we go to industry events, when we see a lot of partners in one place. Um, there's a lot of business topics out there that aren't particularly sexy. Um, and you know, we're in a technical field, right? And so the technical things are the things people focus on because that's where the center of the value equation is, right? That technical service delivery. But I do know that our, um, technical founders of all of our partners or technical practice managers that, um, you know, the, the business side is sometimes not the most natural area for them to, to explore. And they, they struggle with things like customer pricing. Um, pricing objections. And I, I've been um, overwhelmed with, uh, not personally, but with the, uh, there's this there's this overwhelming feeling in the industry that, okay, we understand how to price IT services. We've been doing that for 15 years, but this new thing called cyber, we're getting, we're getting price pushback from our customers. People are telling us this is too expensive. They don't understand the pricing. Um, and they, they don't want to buy is, is sometimes what we hear from partners. And um, so, it, you know, in talking to Ian, I thought that he's the perfect person to really um, tackle this from the perspective of, well, that's what I'm seeing in the industry, Ian. So why, why mm-hmm. do you think that, that I'm seeing that and why is that happening now? So as little as your average msp customer right your average msp customer is a 25 to 50 person organization as across the country doesn't matter what geography you go to that's the normative space that's where everyone's targeting that's where all the materials are being built out for but even up to those 
100, 200 person companies, unless they have a director of IT, someone with a technical background, as little as your buyer understands IT services, they understand cybersecurity less. So if they have a grade two understanding of information technology, they are a kindergartner or a preschooler when it comes to cybersecurity. You know, I've got antivirus, I'll be good. I have firewall, I'll be good, whatever, right? There's just, there, even the acronyms and the verbiage is overwhelming. And people don't go into business to become technology experts. Someone didn't become a doctor to understand technology. Someone didn't become a lawyer to understand technology. They did it because they wanted to be, they wanted to help people with healthcare. They wanted to help people with legal risk, what have you. So you have to find a method to change the conversation. The second you start talking about technology and security, you've already lost. You already lost the battle. You really have to understand that security has zero ROI. There is no return on investment for security. Security is risk mitigation. And a CEO or a business owner does care about risk mitigation and they care about growth. Those are the two big pillars. But you have to be honest with them that, hey, like my favorite and most effective technique that I had is a conversation that opens the kimono right off the bat. You know, Matt, I had to talk to you about security, about cybersecurity, and I want to start off by being completely transparent. This is a massive black hole. This is a hole in the ground that's worse than a boat. We can shovel money in nonstop and never really see a return. So what I wanna do is I wanna frame this around what you care about. And that's gonna help me present something back to you that's around protecting what you care about and just the rest of it, we'll, we'll do what we need to to make sure it doesn't impact what we care about. And do a discovery conversation. That's the big problem with security is it's like everyone forgot how to sell. And in a complex services environment relationship, you're not just gonna come in and go, okay, yeah, here's a quote and, and spend two minutes with someone and think you've got it. You really need to talk about what do they care about? What are, like, what is the organization? What's important to that business owner? What's important to the leadership team? So explore that, just go department by department, system by system, because you might be talking to the doctor and they don't, care about this, they don't care about that. But then when you get down to it, um, I'll pick on OBGYNs, right? You'd think the most important person in an OBGYN office is the provider. It's not. It's the ultrasound technician because those ultrasounds, they take 10 minutes and they print money all day. You have way more leeway for having all of the providers unable to use the EMR as long as ultrasound's up. Way more because it's gonna show when someone needs to run to the hospital, it's gonna show all types of things. As long as I can see that picture, as long as I can walk into a room and look at that ultrasound machine, you're good. You really are in an OBGYN office. And so understanding that, hey, this is the most important thing, and then framing your conversation around security as to how can we make sure ultrasound doesn't go down? How can we make sure that ultrasound isn't compromised and then from there, the, the secondary and tertiary concerns, you're going to have less resistance because you're talking about what they care about. But if you're trying to say like, hey, we're going to prevent, you know, a hacker from coming in, that's too, that's sure. It, it sounds like a basic topic to us who are, have a tech background, but they have no idea what you're talking about. They're, they're just going to hacker. No one's going to hack me. I'm a little doctor's office. I'm a little lawyer's office. You can't use fear-based techniques. You have to make it relatable.
And so when someone says, I care about my ultrasound, you say, well, what's it cost you when it goes down? What happens if that was down for a day? So it's, so it's more of a disaster, is... a disaster preparedness conversation versus a security conversation. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the consultative sale process, right? Correct. And I think that some service, service providers or solution providers uh, use a consultative sale. Some of them use a transactional sale. Those are, th those are the two typical um, sale um, formats in the SMB segment. If you're up in the mid-market, you might do an enterprise sale, right? Um, and I think that ev even with, you know, in, this, in the small part of the market or even in the mid-market, security for a long time, even if you were already doing a consultative sale for the rest of your, the rest of your um, technology services engagement, you were probably doing a transactional sale for security because a long for a long time it was well you have to have av right um mm -hmm. and you have to have a firewall but do you want the latest niftiest firewall or not do you want the ones with the bells and whistles or without the bells and whistles and it was like it was a 30 second conversation here's the two prices do you want are you feeling that or are you feeling this and it was a transaction right mm -hmm. and what you're describing is a consultative sale in the same way the rest of the technology services agreement is a transactional is a consultative sale where you're really understanding the customer's needs and talking to them about how that value is going to satisfy their needs, not product A, product B, right? And and you shouldn't you shouldn't be talking about the products at all. Like that's that's the thing, right? They don't care what antivirus or firewall or like they don't care about that at all. Don't talk about the technology. Talk about what they care about. You're exactly right, man. You're hitting it right on the nail right on the head man it's it's we for some reason it's like we forgot how to sell to smb you have to slow down and talk with them about their business i think that i think that one of the things that makes selling technology so challenging is there's a lot of steps in between the the technology and what it's doing and where the value is. And just listening to you talk and kind of seeing the chain in my mind of, well, I don't want my ultrasound machine to go down because that's my, that's my golden goose. And mm -hmm. the way that it could go down and then the ways that you could have impacted it in the past to have prevented it from going. I mean, you're talking about, you know, there might be eight or nine points of, of behavior that could happen that you kind of have to walk the the practitioner's mind through to get to yeah you're right if i would have done security awareness training with all of my nurses then i wouldn't have allowed for phi to get out and or whatever this the circumstance is right um and, and that's just an interesting mm -hmm. thought that you've given me i'm not sure i have a question associated with it but well i, th I think we've identified the problem space can we can we zoom out a little bit, though, because I think sure. um, I want to talk about what goes wrong in the transactional sale a little more specifically. And then I want to break down what a consultative sale for cyber looks like. And it's probably not one conversation, right? It's probably something that it's a campaign. It's an ex extended campaign with phases that need to be enacted in a specific order over time. So I think we should give each of those a few minutes um, just from the transactional perspective. Um Let's just look at the symptoms like, right, you 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 sold them a firewall three years ago. You told them, oh, this is probably good for five years. Um, you're, you're, you're back on year three. 
right? And you say, you know what? I think my customer needs MDR. I think they might need, you know, probably a few things because the world has changed quite rapidly in terms of the threat space and the solution space, right? Um, in the regulatory space, that's all changing rapidly. Hopefully the service provider knows this. I think most of you watching know that things have been changing and what's normal has been changing. So you tell your customer and you say, don't you want Sentinel one? Don't you want like the premium package? That's $8 an endpoint. Well, and, why don't they want it? I don't understand. Don't they, <laughs> they, they need it? Well, they, they, they do want it. Sentinel one makes sexy videos, right? But then they look at the price and they say, uh, uh, it sounds really expensive, right? It, it's too expensive. Is like the standard price objection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are other versions of that price objection that we hear? We like that's it's, the um, I would zoom out even more than that. If you're getting an objection around price, right? And like, I will I will preface this with a disclosure because nothing used to piss me off more at my MSP than hearing like this platitude from some dude at the front of a breakout, right? Some person up there is like blah blah blah, little golden nugget for saying, and it's like shut up, guy. Like you have, you haven't lived my life. Like you have no idea, right? But the, the platitude that comes to my head is that cost is an, is a barrier in the absence of value, right? Price is a barrier in the absence of value. And I hated that phrase, but holy goodness, is it factual? You're only going to have someone care about the price. Now, there is like budget, right? If, if they just can't afford it, they can't afford it. And they'll but tell if they you can't, that straight up. Yeah. They'll yeah, say, and, they'll say, this is out of my budget. They won't, they won't him haw around some stuff. I can't yeah. cut you off. We could keep going. Cool. And, and at that point, like if, if a security ad, like for a 50 person site, right. If $400 a month for Sentinel one suddenly blows the budget of that organization, chances are you're dealing with an organization that's a bad fit as a client, right? If, if they can't afford a $5,000 over the year bump, to mitigate some massive risks, you've got a bigger problem there in your client base. But removing budget as a real barrier, they're going to use cost because they don't understand it. That's what it is, is they don't understand what you're doing. And so it just looks like money for nothing. It just looks like throwing $5,000 down our sewer drain. And nobody is going to want to do that. So you, you have to flip that equation. And, and, and Matt, you were talking about this with transactional. You can't just go around and, and take a transactional approach. You have to go have a conversation. And every year, you should be doing this as part of your, as part of your whatever, account management cadence or VSIT, whatever you might want to call it. If you're trying to be a strategic partner, one of your conversations on an annual basis is to be, hey, talked about security last year. Let's pull it out. Here's what we have down. Has anything changed? Have you shifted organizational or operational? You've got this new office over here. How does that play in? You've grown by 10 staff. What do those 10 staff do? Like you should be reviewing this stuff annually as part of generally accepted business practice. And that's if you're if you're in that habit of hey, we have an annual security meeting where we're sitting down and making sure our I's are dotted and our T's are crossed. <laughs> You're getting a little ahead of things because now you're talking about <laughs> sale prep, right? But so before we mm-hmm. talk about the, the the consultative sale process and what that might look like, can we just talk about back to the transactional sale I, and the price objections? I don't think it's just end clients that have price objections. 
I think, um, you know, partners want to do the best thing for their, for their end customers. You know, this is a human business. It's a relationship business. Um, I know that you guys all care about your customers, right? And I, and when, when someone says something is too expensive, there's a not unreasonable tendency to actually believe the customer because the reality is money doesn't like fall out of the sky. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, they may not have money laying around, right. They may have to figure out how to capitalize an investment or figure out how to operationalize an investment. But just to put this in perspective, if someone has 25 employees, right, that's a million dollar business. I would presume if not many million dollar business. Right. Um, and it depends on, it depends on the industry. Right. And so if we look Mm -hmm. at the it expense, um, it'd be pretty normal for that to be in the 5% range. If not more, if they've got high it needs, it could be much more than 5%. And if we then look at what's happening in the industry in terms of what's actually required to invest, um, from the perspective of keeping that IT reliable, now that we're in a new era of, of threats, right? We're talking about 30% increases, right? So we're talking about that 5% actually should probably be 7% or something like that. And look at that math with your customer. Understand that that price envelope. Explain it to your customer. If they say it's too expensive, um, Remember to put that all in perspective and understand the economics of their business. And if you don't understand the economics of the business, that's probably where you need to start. But um, before we jump into that, um, I like to break the consultative sale process down into phases. Not everyone's that methodical about it, but I think you need to educate your customer on the, the problem space, their problem space, the why this value is important. You need to explain how you deliver value how that relates to your product offering, what that product offering is. This is all education. And that probably needs to happen at the same time or maybe even before you understand what your customer does. But I think it's a there are two processes that are parallel. They need to understand their problem space, your solution space, right? They need to understand the value of that from a from a qualitative perspective. And at the same time, you need to understand their business and their pressures. Um, And um, also with the understanding that as the service provider, uh, most of the time you're not going to make a rational argument with a business that, oh, you're underinvested in cyber, you should spend more money, right? And that they may admit that you're correct, but that's not actually what's going to push them into spending more money. It's going to be that um, not only are they underinvested, but there's some kind of pressure, right? There's a there's a breach pressure or there's a like a strong regulatory pressure or there's a I'm trying I'm going through a due diligence process or a sales process pressure or there's a, I'm trying to get cybersecurity insurance pressure so that that ed- education you educating yourself on the customer right and um, them being educated on the problem space and the value solution space it all needs to happen before that pressure point because that pressure point's what's going to push them to buy, right? So when you're in that preparatory step, you know, what have you seen? Um, how, do, how do people find success in that education process? Not even at the sale process, not even at the trying to get a closed process. What, what are the essential components there? Yeah, I mean, um, what, you're, what you're diving into is marketing. 
And as bad as uh, the managed services space is at, sell at selling, it's even worse at marketing. Uh, just like your customers, like they understand IT here, they understand cyber here. MSPs understand selling here and understand marketing down below my camera lens. Um, and the tech is above the... Yeah, and the tech's like all the way through the ceiling, right? Um, so you should be marketing at all times. You should be marketing to prospects, but you should also be marketing to your clients and you should build campaigns designed around your customers. So don't talk to a lawyer the way that you would talk to a doctor, the way that you would talk to a manufacturer. And that requires a bit of work and you're gonna have to rebuild content. If you're trying to push endpoint protection or MFA or whatever it is you're trying, like whatever it is we're trying to push across the base, it's a different conversation for each customer base. Um, so that's, that's the first piece. The second one is, is that all your customers should be having that educational content getting to them. And again, just like security awareness training, multimedia, you might need video, you might need email, you might need a phone call or face-to-face -face visit. You might need an in-service, you might need practical demonstrations, any number of things around the topic. You have to consider who your customers are, meaning verticals. And you have to consider how they like to be communicated to how they view the world and multimedia approach to doing that around the topic. But if you're leaning in and trying to say, Hey, here's why endpoint detection and response is important. You already lost them. You already lost them, but here's how, here's how we help the customer recover from a Sing, here's how one here's how one customer's laptop destroyed their whole network that's something that someone will open up and they'll read about it but that's an edr play right there so right. use of story and use of like hey here's how here's an outcome type of thing and here's how you could have present prevented that outcome that's that's much more effective than trying to lean in with tech too often i i see MSP websites, MSP marketing collateral, and all it is is tech, 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 tech. They're hiring you to deal with that for them. They don't want to learn it. They're so stop trying to force it on them. Deal with that for them. They need to put that on a shirt. They are literally mm -hmm. hiring you to manage their IT so they don't have to think about it because it's above their it's above their line. But what about a mug, Zach? I don't get it. I love. Oh, on a oh, mug? Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, great. We're, we're ordering it. mugs, guys. So uh, <laughs> my my Wi-Fi just went out, and I'm so happy because that means they cut the power to my house, um, although I'm seeing lights on. So maybe they didn't cut the power to the house, but um, I'm waiting for that um, in any case. you get that um, tree off there for you. Yeah. I, I would you also became Liz. Yeah, you did. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> You can do, sure, these days. Can. You can you can be whatever you want. It's I could be whoever I want. Come yeah. on, come on, Ian. Leave the man alone. Um, so there's one thing that I wanted to throw out there. We we talked a little bit about how um, cyber can feel like a, an endless hole that you can throw money into, and mm -hmm. um, something that we try to solve is is that you know we want there to be value to the delivery of somebody not. Um, you know, having a major, major issue. Um, 
why does security feel like you're not getting anything? Why did ADT hand out those blue signs for people to put in their yard? And how do our MSP friends out in the ecosystem and in the channel, um, how do they evidence all the great shit they're doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I, um, oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, I've just got like piles of advice there, but like I Let start with the paper. Because I know yeah. you got <laughs> Go ahead, Ian. Yeah, so um, cyber is really like it's going to feel the easiest way to relate this as an analogy is it's going to feel like an insurance sale. And there are certain people who value insurance and there are certain people who don't. Right. And, and it depends on what you're talking about. Some people will really, really value like you, just, you talk to someone who's a car collector. Hey, chances are they probably have quite a bit of insurance along that collection because it's taken them a lot of time to get that. That's that's time and treasure. And someone else might just have PLPD on, on their car because they don't care, right? If like if it breaks, they'll just buy a new $5,000 car. I don't care. So it depends on what the customer cares about, what play is going to work with them around that conversation. So if you think about it as what is security, it's insurance that something bad will hopefully not happen. And if something does happen, that we'll be able to come back from it. It's a one-two punch, right? We're trying to prevent something bad from happening, but if and or when something bad does happen, we're able to come right back to where we were. I think that's and, a great way to be communicating from the mm -hmm. from the from the service provider to the client. I didn't mean to cut you off early there. If I did, please. Oh, yeah, no, well, that's, I, but I wouldn't necessarily say, hey, we need to talk about this like insurance, because if someone doesn't value insurance, you're going to shut the door on your face, right? Just, right. just, no, I, I like love that, I that, love that analogy. really worked well for me back in the day. Just like, look, this is a hole and I don't want you to pour any more money in it than, than you need to. So tell me what's important. Right. And that's where I'm going to focus my efforts on and surprise, like no matter what it is, that's important. The only way you can protect it is to protect the whole network. So don't worry about saying, well, we got to put it on everything. It's just once you find the thing that's really important and enumerate that value to the client and really explore and discover that value with the client, it's not going to be a problem to spend five grand to EDR the whole 25 person site per year. When we need to do that in to have a hope in hell of protecting this one little thing that they care about. Well, the, the, I love that analogy, by the way, that it's like insurance. You don't want to confuse it with actually being insurance, right? Although mm -hmm. insurance is part of the equation, right? Yeah. Um, yep. I, but it's a rational sale, right? It's a rational sale for people that are thinking strategically. Anyone who's thinking strategically will see the value. They'll understand it and they'll know when and where it's right and how much it's worth it to them. Um, if they're thinking strategically and rationally about it and they're putting time in it and you can help them through that process. And but people don't buy rationally. <laughs> well, in, in the mid-enterprise, they do because it's not people making decisions. It's groups of people mm -hmm. and organizations act a little more rational than individuals, um, even if that hurts us sometimes when we want organizations to be emotional they're, and they're not. But um, the thing to understand about a smaller business is they vacillate because you have a principle, a business principle that's thinking strategically sometimes, and then they're thinking tactically, tactically most of the time because the reality is 
they're stuck in the day to day, right? They don't have that long range vision, but when they fall in that hole in and that hole takes many forms, right? At that exact moment, when they're sitting at the bottom of the hole, they are thinking strategically like, ow, that hurts. I don't want to stub my toe again, but they're only thinking strategically until they get out of the hole and then they're on to the next thing. And, and not that you want to prey on your customers or take advantage of them. You should take the opportunity when your customer is thinking strategically to help them think strategically, right? Um, and, and that's why you need to recognize those moments of urgency when they occur. And it's, it's, the, thing, it's the thing where security was an owie, right? And there's lots of versions yeah. of that. And if you do a good job of that marketing and communication ahead of time, when that owie happens, they're already coming to you for the for the boo boo kisses bandits. Yeah. yeah, that's the the old Rama manual line of never let a good disaster go to waste. Um, sure, like you can always you can always sell on the on the the wrong side of the boom, right? Which I, I always forget. It's the right side of the boom is is right of boom is the right, is the bad right's part. bad right's bad yeah. <laughs> so, but if if we say hey, I don't want to have the boom. I'd rather stand the left side, please. Take the concept of doing discovery about what they care about one step further. So they tell you, hey, with our previous OBGYN example, hey, we really care about this ultrasound. Well, like Zach, what happens in your world when that goes down? Well, it's never happened before. Well, okay, say it did. What would happen? Like what what happens? What happens to you? What happens to your manager? Explore all of those decision maker influencers and understand what happens to their world. Well, that means like I'm gonna have to spend my time doing this, and then I'm I'm not gonna be able to get through all my patients. Okay, well, what happens then? Can they go somewhere else? Well, yes, yeah, some of them will. Oh, well, what's the value of that customer loss? What's the value of your time? Well, what do you mean you have to work late? What does late mean? Well, it means till ten or eleven o'clock. How often do you have to do that? Eh, maybe once or twice a month. Well, would you have to do it every day until it was fixed? Oh, okay. How long does it take to get an ultrasound machine? Two weeks. Oh, okay. Well, what's your spouse think about that? Oh, well, it causes me quite a bit of trouble. You know, you start making this, this pain real, you start to scratch an emotion. You get someone thinking emotionally about a problem, like, and I'm not advocating manipulation here. Right. This is not the same thing emotion- as FUD, right? This is not yeah. FUD. This is not fear, this is not uncertainty, fear and uncertainty, and uncertainty, and doubt. This is about triggering emotions. They're the one. I'm not putting anything in your head. You say like, hey... When this ultrasound machine goes down and it's going to be down for two weeks until we get a new one because it's all specialty and I can't back it up. So we'll have to order a new thingy and you're going to have to work late until 11 o'clock every night and on Saturdays. And you're going to miss some key things about your kid because your kid has soccer or whatever. And it's really important to your family that you're there. And your wife's already frustrated about the once a month thing where you have to work at until 11. So half a month is going to put you in the doghouse. Well, suddenly this sounds like a really big emotional problem. And when you're coming back to do that, restate that situation. Like, hey, here's what it is. Here's where the impacts. Do I understand what's going on right? Here's my path to make sure that doesn't happen. Do you believe my path would work? And if they believe your path will help them avoid all of that pain, then then you just ask them, "Do do do you want my help? Do you want my help to do that? And they don't care about the money anymore. They're thinking about having two weeks of, you know, their husband or wife yelling at them every freaking morning when they're down trying to get coffee after being exhausted from working six till 11 every night. And they're dreading the Saturday where they're going to miss, you know, little Jojo's soccer game. 
they choose to invest in the peace of not having two weeks of you know of that they they choose yeah. to you 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 lay out what could happen and and how it could be if they invest properly and a lot of the times you know we're in this position as service providers where we understand something more than they do just in the mm-hmm. same way i would hope my lawyer would come to me and say well zach if you sign that deal and x y and z happens well, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? Well, I pay my lawyer to tell me don't X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z. They pay you as a service provider to come in and say, well, be freaking careful if you don't put EDR on because of, of exactly what you're saying. But if you don't take the time, which is to close the circle, if you don't take the time to understand their business and their worries and their fears well enough to be able to paint the picture of how what you know could help them with what they care about, then you can never get to the end of the circle to help them find where the value is. If you start over here, then they think you're FUD, they think you're a jackass, and they're going to go to the next person. Exactly. And don't don't falsify the fear. Don't falsify the numbers. Don't let someone use what sounds specific but is truly vague. Well, that would be a big problem. What the hell does big mean? And you can say that. Because uh, like, they're saying to you, it would be a big problem because they don't want to go into the thought processing themselves because it's uncomfortable uh, to go in there. But if you don't you go gotta, think about it, then you'll you got to never... have someone enumerate it, right? You have to explore that. Hey, to make sure I'm on the same page, Zach, what's big mean to you? Because yeah. I know people that wear $100 is a big deal. And I know people where a million dollars is not a big deal. So what's how big of a problem is this? And it allows you to sell to their needs. Because if it's not, a, you know, if they're like, well, you know, it it would take a million dollars for it to be a big deal. You may not say, well, then you're going to need you're not going to need the highest. You're not going to need it super tight because your your risk acceptance is higher than most people. And and the customer one knows that you're understanding what their needs are and that you're fitting their needs. Uh, and if and when you're you, asking the questions to do that, then you're doing that. Sorry, go ahead. You just hit a really, really important point when it comes to consultative selling. If the customer believes you understand them, if they have a feeling this person understands me, this person gets me, that builds trust. And trust makes this, hey, I trust that you understand me. I trust that you have my best interests in heart. I will say yes. And that's like, that's how you avoid that FUD bucket where you don't want to end up in where they're like, oh, they're just trying to scare me. No, I'm just, I'm exploring it because I know this is a hole in the ground. I know that this is just a, a campfire we could throw money in and watch it burn. Like, let's, let's, let's Dude, talk right, through right. this and figure out what really actually matters and what the impacts are if something happens so that we can custom craft something to you. And spoiler alert, on the back end, you know it's just your normal standard security stack that you're going to be selling them, like because you've already built that, you've done the research. But you, you can't just say, "Hey, a good solution." Yeah. Already, but you, you can't just say, "Hey, this is your security stack now," right? You have to have the same. It's just the same as doing an IT sale. You got to spend just the same amount of time. Maybe you land an assessment and then sell the products after the assessment. Whatever it is, but just spend the time and, and do discovery. So, um, real quick. So we only got a few minutes left before we do takeaways. Um, if anyone's still watching, it's like saying, well, what are the numbers, right? I just want to 
throw some numbers out there, okay? Um, so Tell me the prices, in, Matt. Tell me exactly. Yeah, let's me let's stats. throw some Tell actual some actual numbers out there because I know people like they're like I thought this was a pricing call. Um, so uh, MSPs are all over the place, right? I look at data and I say, oh, they charge anywhere between one and five hundred dollars per user, right? Or between twenty five and five hundred, or between twenty five and two hundred. Um, what I'm seeing in the managed services segment for small businesses that are delivering based on value in, and these are MSPs that are successful and they are making money and they are growing. And it doesn't matter how big the businesses are, right? Um, they are charging anywhere between 125 to $150 per user per month minimum. Um, well, we do see some service providers that are charging less than that. And they're still successful, but they usually have other revenue sources. Um, now, when you look, that's without security, guys. Okay, um, and you know you really can't operate without security these days. And so, when the customer has finally come to that realization, it's time to get them to invest. And small businesses are willing to spend thirty percent more to get reliable IT. And I didn't make that up. Um, service leadership through, uh, you know, with ConnectWise sponsorship has done a ton of research on finding out exactly where that that price acceptance level is and, and 30% increases or more, sometimes 30 to 40% increases are wh where small business owners and, and, and are feeling comfortable to make that cyber problem um, go away or make them feel like they've, they've gotten to the right amount of spending where they're not burning cash, but they feel safe, right? Um, it's, it's that type of increase, but they're, they need to be led to water. They need to find their way there. They need to decide to make it that decision, right? So, I mean, uh, I think providers need to need to look at their own service model and figure out. And I, I hate throwing numbers out there because you know people are gonna say, "Well, that doesn't sound right," uh, because there are different segments of the market, and there's different regions of the world, and there's different levels of service delivery, right? Right? So I'm not ignorant of that fact, right? But this this thirty to forty percent increase to go from um, IT with a little bit of security that maybe was right five or 10 years ago to, oh, this is actually reliable in 2023 with um, billion dollar a year cyber criminal enterprises with thousands of employees trying to take down every company in the West and extract revenue out of all of them. That's a real thing, right? And there's many of these now to survive in that space and be reliable. Yeah. 30, 40% increase. That's where we're at right now. It's not going to go up forever like healthcare guys. We're switching from a time before risk management to post risk management. Okay. And healthcare is not going to go up forever either, Matt. Good God. Uh, well, I, I, no, I'm not going to let you, I'm not letting well, you, I'm not going to let you uh, put us, put us on that. All right. All right. But, <laughs> going down. It's going to go down. No more. No, more no, no. The last couple of years it dropped. The, the growth has dropped there. This is in a healthcare call. Yeah. Try to tell you. <laughs> All right. Well, should we do should we do final takes and then wrap this bad boy up and let everybody go? You know, do whatever they're doing. Yeah, I gotta go cut a tree down. I'm, my final take is, you know, Ian's point first of all about that that rational. It's like cyber insurance is a great way to get someone through the process when they're thinking strategically. They're ready to be rational. 
that's the moment, right? And deliver whatever message sounds right to you and feels good to you and that feels good to them. And there's lots of different versions of that. Uh, I want to, I want to quote Ian also for my takeaway, but I can't remember exactly what it was. You said something halfway through that I thought was magical and I'm going to, I'm going to have to either find it or listen back through. Do you guys remember? All right, what? You can leave comments. Yeah. I'll leave a comment for everybody of what I, what was my favorite piece. That's, um, I guess if, if nothing else, I would just is like slow down, slow down your sales process, stop being in a rush, slow down treat it like it's a brand new customer and, and act accordingly, right? If, if you do, deals are lost during discovery. So you can't spend enough time discovering what happens when things break at your customer site. And that's what happens in a security incident, right? Something breaks, whether it's confidentiality, integrity, or availability, or a mixture of the three, something breaks. So just explore that and, uh, and go from there. Once you explore it, just don't, don't allow vague answers. So, so, so Ian, um, we went 58 minutes here and, uh, people don't know who R and R is. So, (laughs) so Richardson and Richardson and, um, our, uh, our our Seth Rands are around the MSP space, but at the end of the day, uh, what Carrie and I do, we exist to help people scale and sell their companies. So we want people to make more money. We want people to be able to have a successful exit. If you're struggling around growing or wondering how you might be able to sell your MSP, ping her, ping me, and we can help you out. Um, R&R, one of the best consulting agencies around, also one of the best railroads in Monopoly. (laughs) For sure. 100%. Absolutely. 100%. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This concludes another Friday at the MSP Cyber Roundtable. Be sure to like us on LinkedIn and subscribe to our YouTube for more educational content. Thank you so much to Ian for joining us and what an awesome conversation about conquering cyber price objections. Be sure to join us next week where we have Chris Johnson from CompTIA and Steve Alexander from MSP Ignite on to talk about the difference between real cyber wins and things that are just shiny objects. Ian, it was awesome to have you. Thanks, everybody. Zach, Matt, take care. Appreciate y'all. Have a good weekend.